0: Great, so we're uh, finishing this series today, we're calling The Power of One. And we've been looking at seven really, really important things for you to believe as a Christian, which are foundational to the Christian life. And also, that if we grasp these things properly, then they have massive impact, not only on our life, but on the whole world as we seek to minister the gospel and the love of God to everybody we meet. So, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 4 to 6 it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one pope. when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And here's the truth that we're looking at today. There is one God and Father who is through all and over all and in all. Happy Father's Day. We're going to be talking about God the Father. And here's the hope today that you get to know him better. And here's the hope today that for some of you, you need healing in this area of knowing God as your Father, because you find it hard to look at him that way. But this is something for all of us that we're to grow into a deeper knowledge of, according to the Apostle Paul. It's one of seven important things that he says. I don't know if you... you, There's that famous sort of uh, Indian fable about some blind men discovering an elephant in the jungle. And the story goes that each of them finds a different part of the elephant, and they all seek to describe it in their own way. And And they all come up to different conclusions. And the very obvious conclusion of that story is this, that if you want to find out what an elephant looks like, ask somebody who knows about elephants. Because, actually, if everybody is just trying to find out what a bit of an elephant looks like, then we're in trouble. But if you ask somebody to describe an elephant who knows all about elephants, we're in the business there. We can find out. Well, this is what John... Said in John chapter 1, verse 18, talking about Jesus and how he shows us the Father, says, No one has ever seen God, no one's ever seen God the Father. Okay, nobody in this room, nobody in history, except the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. Has made him known. So this is Jesus' claim that he and he alone has seen the Father, and he is uniquely able to make him known to us. And today, if you want to know what the Father looks like, we need to look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. He shows us exactly who the Father is. And here's our starting point as we as we look at what it means to know God as Father is not to look at our human experience of fathers because everybody in this room has an experience of fathers, either you are a father and you know some of the the, the stretch in that role, or perhaps you will be a father, or for all of us here we 've we 've had fathers, some of those will be absent fathers, some of those will have been very present, very helpful, but all of us here know what that word means in our head, but our starting point isn't our experience. You know, they, they did a... Some of, the, some of us have been shaped by negative experience. They did a study, um, it, it, well, actually a chaplain in a prison in the UK. It was approaching Mother's Day and he invited 500 inmates to write their Mother's a Mother's Day card. He thought, you know, they might want to write home and he offered to pay the stamps and, and give them the cards. And All 500 of them did it, and they said, yeah, we'd, we'd like to do that. We'd like to just tell our mums we love them. And he thought, that was a great success, 100%. I don't think any chaplain has had that success rate before. But then it came to Father's Day. A couple of months later, he thought, let's do it again. And he asked those same inmates. He said, 500. He said, if any of you would like to write your father a Father's Day card, just come and get the pen and paper and, and the stamp, and I'll, I'll post it for you. Not one of them. Not one of them wanted to send their father a father's they could. That tells you something about the dysfunction of family in our country and and how it is for certain people that father can just seem such an unhelpful influence on lives for some people. But perhaps your experience has been very positive. Here's the danger for you that you limit your view of God based on a positive fathering role model. And do you know the fatherhood of God is so far above any human experience. His love is so much greater than any imperfect human father, good or bad. Let me describe it this way. So I went to see this famous painting a few years ago, the, the Mona Lisa in uh, Le Louvre in Paris. It's very famous by uh, Leonardo da Vinci, I believe. And uh, it, I mean, people love this painting. I, I, I think it's okay, to be honest. Um, But people talk about the Mona Lisa's smile. I always think, well, if that's her smile, I'm so glad she's not my wife. You know, she, you know, she, it, it, it doesn't quite do it for me. This painting, but it's a work of art. People travel all over the world to come and see this beautiful, beautiful piece of art by one of the world's greatest artists of all time, Leonardo da Vinci. Let's say I went to see that. And I, I, I was really taken with it. So I wanted to describe this painting to all of you here today. But I, I didn't have a camera with me. So I thought, I'll just take a few hand sketches. And uh, this is what I came up with. I'm not much of an artist. <laughs> and so I thought, and then I go around to you on a Sunday morning and I saw this amazing painting last year. Oh, you've got to sit in the Mona Lisa. And here's what it looked like. You'd say, well, huh, okay. <laughs> see, I mean... The truth be told, there are some things about that picture which are fairly representative. The curly hair. The curly hair. And you're struggling after that, aren't you? I've got the same orientation of the head slightly. I mean, other than that, there's very, very, it's a very poor likeness. Because it's Father's Day, I thought I'd show you my daughter's picture of the same painting. There you go. Isn't that so much better? Isn't that Beautiful. I mean, she's got the smile, right? I mean, she's my daughter. She's an artist. Maybe I've got fatherly bias there. I don't know. But So here's the thing. So these are likenesses of something much, much better. And here's what we're to understand about Father God. Any likeness that we portray of him is going to far, fall far, far short of who he is. So this is the verse we read. It said, There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul just can't help but writing about the Father in heaven as as just being overwhelmingly all. He's everything, and he's in everything, and he's everywhere. And if we're going to be a church for all, which is what we want to be, it means this. It means knowing God, knowing this God, this Father who is over all and in all and through all, so that we can be a church for all. And the more we get to know him, the more we're in his image, and the more we display that for all people. So I want us to get to know this father today. We're going to look at seven things about him. Before we do that, let me just read to you from James chapter 1 verse 16. It says, "Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, so you can get this wrong. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows." He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. It's talking about the Father giving birth to us, every good and perfect gift coming from him, him not changing. So here's seven things. They say in Scripture, seven is the number of perfection. So I thought, well, there's seven things here I'd like for us to understand about God our Father today that you might know him better. Here's the first one. They're not going to be really long. Don't worry. We're not going to be here till like seven o'clock this evening. Here's the first one. That God our Father is the creator of everything. God your Father is the creator of everything. Everything we see and know. He's creative. He's the father of all. And when you look at creation in all of its magnitude and beauty, it speaks of a father who is not just powerful, but who is loving. Don't you love the intricacy of creation? Don't you love it when you see a sunrise over a Scottish hillside? We've actually seen that happen recently, haven't we? Don't you love it when we, we see bumblebees gathering pollen? You think, wow, they're, they're just absurd little creatures. But it, it speaks of somebody who delighted in making these things. You know, when uh, you know, when governments or councils, when they start wanting to to, to create and do things, that, say, let's we, we want to provide housing for homeless people. We create very functional budget units for everything. That's what we do when we try to do things, we, we, we end up with similarity and likeness and, and conformity. When God does things, when God self-expresses, he produces variety and diversity and wonder and things that make you stop and think, wow. And this is what the Bible says about this God. It says, he loves all that he has made. He loves it. And it shows in every bit of creation. It speaks of a God who is the source of everything. Everything. In Romans 1, verse 20, it says, Since the creation, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through all that has been made. This creation speaks of a God of love. A God of love. This God made you. He created you. It says in Psalm 139, he knit you together in your mother's womb. And that's a wonderful thing to know, that there's a father who created you. Long before your parents knew who you were going to be, there was a father who knit you together in your mother's womb. And he cares about you and he loves you. And he made some of you tall. He made some of you short. He made some of you bubbly. And some of you quiet. And he rejoices over every personality type. He rejoices over every, every skin color. Every gender. He, 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 he rejoices over those things. Our kids, it's report writing time at the moment at school, so once again we get the four reports for our kids and the reports, they're they're good kids, they always come back with good reports, they always have this same comment made about them, which was also made for Julie and I when we were kids growing up, the teachers were like, yeah, they seem to work hard, they do well they're conscientious, I just wish they weren't so quiet in class I just wish that they could speak up a bit more and be more vocal and this year they actually created a space on the report form to write back to the teacher your comments on their report so this year, Julie and I thought, well, you know what? We wrote back and we said, you know what? Some kids are just quiet learners. That's the way God made them. God made us different. We're to rejoice in difference. Here's the second thing about our Father God. He's the God who is in control. It says he's the God who is over all and through all and in all. So having created everything, he now reigns supremely, sovereignly over everything. See, this father figure is not a tag-along father figure. There's something in our sort of culture at the moment that kind of sees fathers as less and less valuable in our society, with the demise of the family. You even watch Peppa Pig. And the father figure is kind of just nice but useless, isn't he? I mean, I know he's a pig. (laughs) But... He's fun to have around, but he doesn't add value to the family. Whereas Father God, it says some amazing things about him. It says, having created everything, it says now he has purpose in everything he does. When it talks about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son is the one who comes and works salvation. The Spirit is the agent of that salvation. What is the role of God the Father? Well, he purposes it, he purposed it in eternity past. It was him who was pushing. It was him who was saying, let's do this. That wasn't to say he was more important than any other member of the Trinity. It's to say that this is what Father God does. He purposes. He purposes your salvation. In fact, Jesus said that nobody could come to him unless the Father draws him. And he's doing that today. He's drawing people to know him. It talks in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 about the will of God the Father. It talks about grace and peace coming from God the Father. It talks about every spiritual blessing in Christ coming from God the Father. See this God is active. He's in control. But here's the thing about this Father who's in control, he's not controlling. He's not controlling. He gives incredible freedom to all his creation. Even in the Garden of Eden that was perfect, he, he put an opportunity there for them to sin if they wanted to. He doesn't just give duties. He gives gifts. He's generous. He doesn't rule with control but with grace. He gives freedom. He's generous at every turn. And This is your Father. It talks about, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Don't you love the way God gives his grace to you? Not on a drip feed. He gives it with lavishness, with the generosity of a father. And Jesus demonstrated that as well. Do you know what Jesus' first miracle was? Yes, that's right. It was the wedding at Cana, wasn't it? And uh, I was just testing to see if you were just listening this morning. So the wedding at Cana, it was the first miracle. It says the disciples put their trust in him after that miracle. What What was the main point of that miracle? Other than extravagance, lavishness. Because Jesus goes to a party with his disciples. All the wine has run out, which means everybody has had a fair amount you know hundreds of people might have been in attendance at that Middle Eastern type wedding. There were big affairs. Jesus does a miracle. Do you know how many bottles of wine he creates? If you do the sums in the footnotes in, in John's Gospel in John 2, it's somewhere between 600 and 1000 bottles of wine that he creates for a party that's already in full swing. <laughs> What's it saying about Jesus is, well? I like to do things in style. I like to show my love lavishly. And this Father is lavish about you. He shows his love lavishly to you. When the Spirit got poured out at Pentecost, was it stingy or was it lavish? Lavish. 3,000 people saved, 120 people all speaking different languages. The love of God poured out through the Holy Spirit, because the Father is lavish. Here's the third thing. So he's creator, he's in control. These are all C's, by the way. I thought that would just keep you, keep it fun for you. So thirdly, he's consistent. He doesn't change. That verse we read from Jesus says, he doesn't change like shifting shadow. We've seen the sun recently. What happens, we've, we've come to terms with these things called shadows again. And what you notice is throughout the day, the shadows move and if you've got a table in the sun, then you have to keep moving your chair slowly, don't you, to kind of, to, keep, to make sure you're in the right place? Well, here's what some people think about God. They think, oh, he changes. I think, you know, he, he loved me yesterday, but I've sinned today, and I, I bet he feels differently about me. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's consistent. He loves you today. He loved you yesterday He'll love you tomorrow. He'll love you next week. And that's because it's not about you, by the way. It's about him. It's about the love that he shows. Human fathers are affected by all sorts of things. We're affected by the pressures. We're affected by how well our job's going or not going. We're affected by our marriage, how that's going or not going we're affected by other relationships we're affected by what our children are doing and all of those things means we have good days and bad days in showing parental love but you'll never catch god having a bad day because his love is consistent malachi 3 says i the lord do not change and that's a wonderful truth to have about his love that his love for you will not change lamentations 3 this he's always there. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. When you get up in the morning, God loves you. When you go to bed at night, he loves you. When you get up the next day, he loves you. When you go to bed the following night, he loves you. It's an unchanging truth. You don't need a barometer to tell you whether God loves you today. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He's patient and kind. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Oh, how different. Ever go on Facebook and take exception to what somebody says? People just rant at each other just like that, don't they? Angry conversations. Well, God's not like that. He doesn't get provoked just like that, He's slow to anger. This kind of love has no place for fear. One John chapter four says that there's no fear in love, for perfect love drives out all fear. Some of you have had experience of human fathers where you have left you terrified. God isn't that father. He's a father who loves you. Here's another thing about his consistency. That his judgments are always right. 1 Peter one seventeen says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your lives here. Here's the thing. He always gets it right. Always gets it right. He'll always get the measure of you right. He'll never make meaningless comparisons of you to other people. I remember going around a friend's house when I was 10 years old and we sat around the family Table, and, and he had a pretty awful dad who would just basically go around the kids and just pull them down in front of their friends, and then he'd compare them to one another and he'd tell them who he thought was the one who was going to go furthest in life and who was the one who was going to drop out. It was horrible to see, even as a 10 year old, I remember that. God will never ever do that to you, his judgments are always right. And he's always kind, he's always patient, he's always there, and he never changes. Here's the fourth thing about this perfect father. His love is complete. So here's the thing that some people say today. They say, well, I don't like this whole father-God business because, you know, it just sounds very male. Well, actually, God isn't male or female. The Bible says he's spirit. So when we understand who Father is, we're not making a comment about God's gender. Okay, so it says, when, he, when, when, when God made man and woman in the Garden of Eden, it says, in his image he created them, male and female. So what does that tell us about this God, the Father, who created male and female? tells us this, that both of those are in his image. So this father, in the way he expresses love, he expresses it with both fatherly and motherly characteristics. So his fatherliness includes all the wonderful attributes of perfect fathering and perfect mothering. So that verse we read from James earlier, it talked about him giving birth to us through the word of truth. Any men here appreciate what that means? No, that's that's a female attribute, isn't it? Isaiah 49, verse 15, it says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. God the Father is described as a nursing mother who shows deeply that maternal kind of love for his people as well as every fatherly attribute as well. Here's the fifth one. He's comforting. In fact, he's described in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 as the God of all comfort. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. This Father helps us when we need it. He's not distant. He doesn't just let us get on with it. He comforts us when we need. Here's the sixth one. He's caring. He's caring. He knows us and he knows our needs. In fact, Jesus said, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. It says he knows the number of hairs on your head. That's to say he knows more about you than you do. And you can trust your life to a father like that, to somebody who cares for you with that kind of caring detail. He knows what you need today. He knows what you need tomorrow. He knows your, the state of your emotions. He knows the state of your body. He knows you and he cares for you. Here's the seventh one. He is close. He's close. In fact, he encourages you to approach him as father. Jesus demonstrated this. When he prayed, he would pray to God as his father. Now, fancy doing a little bit of language this morning? A bit of Aramaic, perhaps? Yeah, I'll take that as a yes. Okay, so, so Jesus, the, the language of Jesus' day was Aramaic, okay? The, the, the written language was Greek, but they spoke Aramaic. And so when the Gospel writers came to write their the, the, the sort of go, the gospel, the, the version of Jesus' life down, they they would write it in Greek. They'd summarize the things he said, his teaching, his actions. But there were occasions where they would quote Jesus verbatim. And you kind of think, well, why would they do that? And it was because there were moments where you just had to be there, and they didn't want to mess with the translation. They didn't want you to misunderstand. So here's some examples. There was a time when Jesus put his fingers in a deaf person's ears and he healed him. He put his fingers in his ears and he said, Ephatha. And if you were telling that story later on, you wouldn't translate it. You'd say, and he said, Ephatha, meaning be opened. There's another time when there was a girl who died and Jesus went in the room. He put his hand on her. And he said, In Aramaic, talitha kum. Which if you translate it just means little girl, get up. But when people were telling that story, they said, and this is what he said, talitha kum. Because it kind of sounds good to quote it, doesn't it? Here's another thing that Jesus said on the cross as he hung between heaven and earth, paying the price for our sins. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, they didn't want to translate it. They said, that's exactly what he said on the cross when he called out to God as he was taking our sins. Where does this bring us back to? Well, because when Jesus prayed to God, he called him Abba. Not super trooper, Abba. And it is the word that children in that culture would have used. The very first word that they would have learned as a toddler, they'd have looked up at their dad and they'd have said, Abba. But it was also the word used by grown-up children in a respectful household to speak to their father, Abba. It was the same word. And when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane to his father, in Mark's gospel, you find, again, he doesn't translate it. He just says, Jesus prayed, Abba. The Apostle Paul, when he summarizes your relationship with God now, in Romans 8, verse 15, says, You have received the spirit, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Here's the likeness Paul is drawing. The same relationship Jesus had with his father is the relationship that you're to enjoy with the Father. Galatians 4.6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. God's drawing you into this place where you're his son, his daughter, his child, where you belong to him and you enjoy that relationship. How does this affect us? So I've got three things that I just want to close with to help you apply this into your life. This is a rock, this truth about the Father's perfect love for you is a rock that you're to build your life around. He's the head of the family of God. And because he's loving and purposeful, he can be depended on. And if you were to read these verses from Ephesians, if you read them in their context, you find out the verses before is an encouragement and a plea towards Christian unity. And you find the verses following it are an encouragement to see the diversity of the gifts of God in his church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists. So how does this truth that God is Father help us in its context? It's this, it gives us identity. Identity. In fact, these are three eyes. I was I was on this whole thing today. I've got three eyes for you. Identity. New identity. He chose us before in him before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Whoa. This is the place where we find security in the Christian life. It's not in what we do. It's not in what we do. See, if he'd missed out these verses and jumped straight into Ephesians 4 about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, then perhaps the most important thing we could think about our life is this. Well, I'm Apostle Andrew. Or I'm Prophet Peter, or I'm Pastor Paul, or I'm Evangelist Eva. See, we we could end up going through church and through life saying, well, yes, what you need to know about me is my gift and what I do. That's what makes me important around here. When you know God as your father, what you do is totally secondary. Because here's the most important fact about me. I'm loved by him. He's my father and I'm his son. I'm adopted. Now, adoption these days is is still a wonderful, wonderful, powerful thing. It was different in Roman days when Paul would write this. And here's generally what happened in adoptions. It was wealthy families who adopted in the Roman world. And they did it mainly because they needed an heir to share everything with. And so... Here's the imagery that Paul wants us to get hold of today. We're adopted into the family of God. We're his children. We're sons. Sons had more rights than daughters in those days. That's why Paul calls us sons, whether you're female or male. But here's the truth about adoption. God wants to share everything with you. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, yours. One day, he's going to give everything to you. Because that's his heart towards you. And that's the most secure place you can be. Now, in my experience, in this life, God will sometimes test that security. And the very things that we love doing and the very gifts that we feel God has given us to do, sometimes God will take us out for a season. So sometimes you might be, it might be a season of, of, of loss, or it might be a season where God blesses you with children. It could be a time where you're, you're taking time out of your career, and you suddenly feel less valuable about yourself because you feel like I was I had this high flying career. I was doing all these amazing things in church, and 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 then God takes you into a season. Where you think, Gosh, I just feel, I just feel bereft of what I was doing. Find your security in God. God brings those seasons to bring us back to him. And we do well when we find our security in him, and then he, he, he gives back to us. So we find our identity as a child of God, not in what we do. Here's the second blessing of this truth of God as our father. The second eye is this is intimacy, new intimacy. This is what Jesus said. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Isn't that wonderful? The Father who dwells in unapproachable light says he'll come and live in you. (laughs) He'll come and live in you. Jesus and the Father live in every believer's heart through the indwelling spirit. I don't know about you, but I find Some of life's problems are external. They're things I need to fix or do or sort out. It's out there. But many of the challenges of my life are internal. Do you ever find that? It's the way I think or feel. It's my insecurities. It's the things that I don't want to articulate. You know, when you come to small groups and you, you discuss the preach every week, question one is never, please everybody share your worst fears and anxieties. Because nobody wants to talk about that on on that opening moment. Because the truth is, is we, 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 we need help on the inside. The Father knows us. He knows every thought. He knows every motive. And while he doesn't accept everything in our life, and some of that may be sinful, here's the wonderful thing about him. He accepts us. And he says, I'm inside, and I'm here to do an inside job in you, to make you holy. He loves you, and he's transforming you into his likeness. Here's the third eye, inclusion uh, of family. We're all part of one family. So Paul talks about Christian unity. Here's the nature of family. If God is my father, then what are we? If God's your father too, we're brothers and sisters. We're not just a collection of people. We're family together. We belong. And families are complicated things sometimes, aren't they? It doesn't always go smoothly. There are times when we misunderstand one another. In any human family, there's, there's all of that. And that can happen in church too. When you're first a Christian, you just think every Christian you meet is amazing. And that novelty wears off after a while, doesn't it? But here's the truth. If you're sitting here today and you think, well, oh, no, that's not my experience. You know, I've never been annoyed by Christians or, or, or had to forgive. Here's my challenge to you. I wonder if you're going deep enough with your relationships. Because God wants us to be deep enough. Where we risk things with one another, where we expose things, and where there is sadly that opportunity for hurt, and that happens, not meaningly, usually not meaningfully. Make sure that you go deeper into these wonderful relationships that God has blessed you with. It's all part of you becoming a son or daughter in God, your Father's image. There's a verse in. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, and it says, I'm going to paraphrase, it says this, that God sings over you. It's an amazing thought. God sings over you. He's powerful, he's loving, and he takes great delight in his people. I'd just love to listen for a moment because I feel there's a healing work to go on for some of you here today. For God the Father to minister his healing love to you and to restore his image to you.